Welcome to This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Now is your chance to get caught up in all that's happening in technology around Akron and the rest of the world. Now here's your host, Gene Destro. This week, the FBI wants to search your iPhone, Uber in the age of Corona, and mosquito zapping drones. All this and more coming up. The U.S. Justice Department is continuing to criticize Apple for its refusal to weaken encryption to make it easier for law enforcement to search for data stored on iPhones. While Apple has been willing to release information to police that's stored on iCloud, they're not willing to give them the key to unlock their customers' individual phones. With that in mind, there was a big break in a high-profile criminal case last week. The FBI was able to crack the encryption on the cell phone of the gunman in the attack at the Pensacola Naval Air Station last year. CBS correspondent Skylar Henry. Attorney General William Barr praised FBI technicians who successfully unlocked two iPhones belonging to Mohammed al-Shamrani. The 21-year-old training at Naval Air Station Pensacola in Florida carried out an attack last December that killed three U.S. sailors and wounded eight other Americans. The phones contained information previously unknown to us that definitively establishes al-Shamrani's significant ties to al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. Al-Shamrani, a member of the Saudi Arabian Air Force, was killed by a sheriff's deputy. After unlocking phones, federal investigators learned he spent years planning the attack. The Justice Department had asked Apple for help breaking the encryption on the phones and criticized the company for stalling its investigation. In cases like this, where the user is a terrorist, Apple's decision has dangerous consequences for the public safety and the national security, and is, in my judgment, unacceptable. Apple maintains the company turned over all the data it had related to the case. Skyler Henry, CBS News, Washington. But even though Apple won't weaken its encryption to make cracking iPhones easier for the government, it's not like it's really all that hard for them to do it anyway. All they have to do is pay a mobile device forensics company for the use of their encryption cracking software. One of those companies is Atlanta-based GrayShift, which makes a product called GrayKey. In fact, the Akron Police Department is using it right now. Lieutenant Michael Miller. Tools, $18,000 of software. There are applicable laws that govern how they utilize the technology. It's, it's strictly an investigation tool. So obviously there would have to be, in most cases, investigators or detectives would obtain a warrant to access the information. And I think we have a current system for an Android device, and this is the applicable sister technology for an iPhone device, basically. And as CBS technology consultant Larry Maggot tells us, the feds have been using that kind of software for quite some time. Well, the FBI used it in the very famous case of the shooter in San Bernardino a number of years ago. He left behind an iPhone, which the FBI thought might have some very valuable evidence. They asked Apple if Apple could reverse engineer its encryption and provide them with a backdoor, so to speak, to get access for the phone, and Apple refused. And Apple's argument was that once we let anyone access these phones, we are basically destroying the security. There's a possibility that the methodology could leak or it could be abused or, you know, the, the slippery slope. And Apple said, even though we sympathize with the FBI's inf desire to obtain this information, 
we won't cooperate. And Apple got a lot of flack and also a lot of support. The security community uh, got behind Apple very heavily. And the, some of the big experts in security said, no, security is security and should be unbreakable. But the FBI was able to go to a company. I don't know whether it's the same company or a different one, but this was an Israeli company that had a way of breaking the encryption and letting the FBI in. Other police departments have used that similar software. So this has been out there. Uh, Apple would, does not condone this. Uh, Apple is probably working on ways to uh, counteract it. But the bottom line is that there is technology out there that can break through the encryption. And one hopes that it's only used for legitimate purposes and doesn't fall into the wrong hands to be used by criminals. But that is the risk that a lot of security experts worry about. Meanwhile, some iPhone users have been having trouble unlocking their own phones during the pandemic when they're wearing face masks. But as Larry Maggot tells us, that's no longer a problem. The face recognition on Apple iPhones is a big convenience because it means you don't have to bother entering a PIN to access your phone. You just look at it. But if you're wearing a face mask, all bets are off. So now, if facial ID fails after the first attempt, you're immediately offered an opportunity to enter your PIN so you can use your phone. Now that most states have started reopening, the hope is that life will get at least a little bit back to normal. But since the pandemic is far from over, normal has a whole new meaning, including what it's going to be like to use the Uber ride-sharing service. CNET's Brian Cooley explains. In the age of COVID, Uber has changed its app. CNET's Dara Kerr says before a ride now, you'll notice it requires you agree to keep the windows down when realistic. Stay out of the front seat. Attest that you have no symptoms. We'll sanitize your hands. And of course, wear a face covering. This is not entirely for the driver's health, however, though they are the party exposed to the widest array of strangers. It's also intended to get you, the rider, to have confidence in getting into a strange shared car again. The drivers are being prompted by the app to follow similar procedures as you, the rider, and also have to attest that they have disinfected their car. And they also have to upload a selfie of themselves in a mask to start their shift. All of this remains in place at least through the end of June, says Uber. I bet a lot longer due to the skeeve factor, not necessarily regulations. Know what's next at CNET. It's not just ride-sharing services, though, that are trying to adapt to the new normal. Everybody else is, too, and that's causing a lot of stress. So, some folks are turning to meditation. And believe it or not, there's an app for that. Pam Coulter reports. Yogis may have sat cross-legged in caves thousands of years ago as they meditated. These days, you could do it with the help of websites or apps like Headspace. And just starting with a few deep breaths. Headspace co-founder Andy Puttycomb is the first to admit that meditating will not get your job back if you've been laid off. What it can do is help you cope with the shock of losing your job. And it will help you feel more confident. Finding a, a, a clear sense of purpose as you go back out and look for work. And for those skeptics who say, not for me. Try it for five minutes a day for 10 days and see if it makes a difference or not. Pam Coulter, CBS News. The film 
home industry is also changing to adapt to the pandemic. Jeff Colvin from Fortune Magazine explains. It's pretty hard to make a movie in a time of required social distancing. Countless productions around the globe had to stop abruptly to make progress while in isolation. Production companies have been working on scripts and connecting with writers, actors and directors whose schedules were too busy before the pandemic. To resume production, producers say they'll need accurate COVID-19 tests and some are considering quarantining cast and crew together. It's unprecedented, but not all that different from shooting in a remote location. Testing and quarantining wouldn't be the only new practices as production resumes. A number of small-scale changes on set could stick around for a long time. What will makeup and hair artists wear while they're working on actors? Carpenters building sets will likely be given their own toolkits to avoid sharing equipment. No more buffet lines at lunch. Those on set will probably receive individually prepared meals handed out by caterers in protective gear. And what about crowd scenes? Instead of hiring 200 extras, producers say they may instead hire 20 real people and create the rest with computer-generated imaging. Industry leaders are talking about maybe resuming production in late summer or early fall, but for this story, there's no script. Inside Business, I'm Jeff Colvin for CBS News. It's that time of year again, the time when mosquitoes start taking big bites out of our summer enjoyment. On the plus side, there's some new bug zapping technology on the horizon that could make us, if not completely skeeter-free, at least a bit more comfortable. Jim Chenevy tells us how. It's called the Buzzgo, spelled B-Z-I-G-O. Unveiled at the Consumer Electronics Show back in January, the Buzzgo uses specialized electronics to monitor your vicinity for flying mosquitoes. Once it spots them, it marks them for death by hitting them with a beam of laser light. You do the swatting. Buzzgo will even send an alert to your smartphone to warn you to take action. The company is also working on a second-generation device that can dispatch a tiny nano-drone to hunt down skeeters. Series 2 will actually do the killing, but they're not saying how just yet. Right now, the BuzzGo is a prototype with the company raising money to begin mass production and apparently trying to work out the bugs. And that's for your information. I'm Jim Shenevy, CBS News. And that's it for now. Stay happy and healthy, and we'll see you again next week. That was This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Tune in next week for more tech news on 93.5-1590-WAKR and WAKR.net.